Turn with me to John, uh, the Gospel according to John, chapter 21, and I want to read the first 14 verses, the last chapter of John, beginning at verse 1. Let's hear the word of our God. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I go fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, have you any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped of his, for his work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, with fish laid out on it, and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have caught, just caught. So Simon Peter went abroad and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This is now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. And this ends our reading this morning of God's holy, inspired, infallible word. O beloved, in the Lord Jesus Christ... I had hoped to bring a message, um, something related to Jesus' period in which between his resurrection and his ascension, which we will commemorate in a, a couple of weeks, that relates to something about our spiritual life. And then I, I was also told at the same time that it was a message um, that you are going to be preparing your hearts for the coming Lord's Day. And I think this History that's before us this morning is going to remind us of this reality that 
When the Lord's Supper is celebrated in a congregation in the church of our Lord Jesus Christ, it's about Him. We often can come to church and even on the Lord's Day in which we commemorate His suffering and His death with things. Our experiences, our love for Christ, our repentances, our hunger, um, a lot of things we can bring with us. But I think there's something Jesus wants us to do as we come together, uh, particularly on a day in which we remember him, is to recognize, is to live out of the reality, to enjoy the truth he has made provision. Just as Joseph opened the storehouses in Egypt, our Lord opens the storehouse of his bountiful supply. And that's what we see in this passage here this morning as well. And by providence this morning, I was reading with my wife in a devotional, and I just want to read you the first paragraph here. I took a picture of it so I could do that. It's really, in essence, similar to what the message I want to convey to you. The person wrote, You know, our gracious Lord said to his disciples, It's expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. It seems to me that friend after friend, comfort after comfort, might also say to our foolish, clinging, sensitive hearts, It's expedient for you that we go away. For if we go not away, the Comforter will not come to you. In other words, if we remain, that is, friend and comforts and other things we cling to, you will build on us part of your comfort. And you will be the loser, not learning the height, the depth, the length, the breadth of love, sweetness, and fullness which are in Christ Jesus. A pang may be felt as one by one is taken away. Yet how blessed to be in the position of the poor sinner who was left alone with Jesus. When his gracious lips did drop as honeycomb into her heart, saying, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Oh, it is worth being stripped of all that our own to hear this secret of divine love and to enjoy Jesus as our all in all. Let that be our desire as we reflect on this passage. You, you prepare your hearts also for the coming Lord's Day. So I want to look at this uh, chapter that we have uh, read together under the theme of satisfied with Christ's provision. First of all, I want to look at the disciples' failure. And then we'll look at the Lord's provision. What we have before us in this wonderful history this morning, children, something I think you could relate to, and all of us from that story of the disciples. Jesus, their Lord, their Savior, had risen from the dead. They, they had been discouraged. They had thought it was hopeless. And yet on the morning of resurrection, when the reports and conflicting reports and messages came, they finally realized that Jesus was no longer dead. He was actually alive. 
And he had been coming and going. He had visited them several times. One time when Thomas was not there and the next time when Thomas was there and so on. And so their hopes had been rekindled. But they still lived according to old thinking at times, as we do. They were wondering, well, when now, since he's risen and he's king and he's a living God, when's he going to come now and destroy the Romans? They still had that in mind. And Jesus had told them, I'm going to go before you into Galilee. And perhaps the disciples are thinking, well, when is Jesus now going to set up his earthly kingdom? They must have wondered, what's next? What's Jesus now going to do? I could just imagine as they are waiting here at this region of Galilee for it seems some period of time and Jesus is not appearing. Like, where is he? When's he coming back? What's he going to give us to do? They're like many of us. We get busy. We can't just sit around. We've got to do something. We'll just do what we're used to doing. We're, we're going to go, as we see here in verse 3, Simon said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said, we will go with you. Now, in itself, there's nothing wrong with them to go about their previous occupation and to go fishing. Just to maybe pass some time, not to be idle. And so they all agree. What the lesson here, I think, for us is There are times in our lives, in our spiritual journey, when Jesus isn't speaking as much as perhaps at other times in our life, when we sort of sense this distance or this this quietness. Like, where is he? You you do your reading of devotions, you're praying, you're, you're doing, you're coming to church, the things that he's called you to do, and yet... Where's Jesus? You're longing for his presence. You're longing for him to speak also to you. And, and Peter here is saying, I, I need to be busy. I need to do something. Let's go fishing. And maybe you do something too. You say, I'm going to go mow the lawn. I'm going to fix the car. I'm going to go do something. And, and try to push this to the back of your mind a little and, and get busy. It's good things. And you're laboring in toil as the disciples were. They labored all night, we read, and they didn't catch anything. Zero fish. That in itself is astounding. These men were fishermen. They know when to go. They know which part of the lake to go. They'd been on that sea many times before. And and now they had thrown in their nets, brought it up. They threw in their net, brought it up, threw in their net, brought it up. Nothing. Nothing. And just as the morning was dawning, The light was beginning to shine. They saw a man on shore about 300 feet away. Maybe here to the entrance doors or maybe a little bit further. Perhaps they imagined this was a man who had come to buy some of their fish to take it to market. Or maybe for himself to take home. But they didn't know it was Jesus. And Jesus calls out over the water. "Uh, Children, lads, do you have any meat? And it's interesting, you can't really understand it here, but in Greek you can phrase a question in which you are expecting either a yes or a no answer. 
And Jesus asked this question expecting a no answer. He was Lord. Of course, he knew they didn't catch anything. He had, in his sovereign purposes, caused all the fish to go around the net on purpose. He was going to instruct and teach and lead his disciples. Actually, we could say this was a great mercy of God because the disciples were going to come to realize they had nothing. And he had everything. And maybe in our own spiritual life, we at times too come up with nothing. Oh, nothing in our hands we bring simply to thy cross we claim. And so they had to confess to this question of Jesus. Children, do you have any fish? No. Could you imagine if the disciples had caught seven or so or ten? Yeah, we, we got some. But Jesus, in his marvelous wisdom, knew there was no fish. They had to say no. And so Jesus is going to use this instance to teach his disciples, though they had been told this many times, though they had been demonstrated by his very actions, that this was the truth. In me is your fruit found. Trust in me. I'm going to send you out to be fishers of men, but you are not going to bring forth that fruit yourself. You are not going to be the ones who are catching the fish in your net. It's going to be my power, my grace, my sustaining, my help, my spirit. Now Jesus here is, of course, going to restore Peter to this commission uh, to be a fisher of men, as we'll read later in this chapter as well but no doubt as you could imagine the disciples here in the boat are quite frustrated that they had toiled all night and had come up with zero fish and maybe they were heading back to the shore now for the morning discouraged and maybe as you sit here this morning and maybe as you consider this week that's before you and you look back spiritually in your life. Oh, maybe, maybe you've got a lot to uh, accredit yourself in life. But spiritually, not so much. And really, that's the lesson here, I think, that Jesus is also teaching his disciples. You've been casting and working and laboring, and it just seems dry and barren and nothing. been toiling hard, maybe even confessing to God, your net is empty. And the Lord comes to you today and he says, what's in your net? Knowing, expecting you to be honest and answer, nothing.
But what a mercy this confession is. Because if we come up with something, then we don't need Jesus completely, exclusively. And so the disciples answer, and probably they didn't really want to answer this man. Maybe in their hearts it was, mind your own business. And yet he must have asked in such a tender way, children, do you have any meat? And they answer him, no. And this is the way Christ deals with his children, his church. He empties so that he can fill. He even afflicts and allows suffering to heal. So that our eyes are not looking within or looking at others or looking elsewhere, but that our eyes would be directed to him. Jesus isn't intending to sort of play with the disciples. Oh, you don't have any meat this morning. Well, isn't that interesting? No, he's intending to fill their nets. He's intending to give them a supply of fish that he will eventually say, what fish have you, you caught bring to the fire? And so this order that Jesus gives them, it's a command. It was a strange one, and yet uh, there must have been something about Jesus' words when he says, cast on the other side of your net, uh, of your boat. This is a strange request from men who were fishermen, usually probably casting out one side of the boat. Now to have someone on shore they don't even know say, cast on the other side and you will find. And perhaps there were also within the heart these memories of what had happened in the past. You remember, children, of when the first time Jesus had been in a boat and he had asked to use the boat and he was preaching on the shore at the beginning of his ministry, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, repentance toward life in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Peter, probably mending his nets or doing something else, heard this message and then when Jesus is done speaking, he asked them to go out and to cast in their nets and they come back with such a big net full, it broke and Peter is just overwhelmed. And he comes to shore and he says to Jesus, depart from me, I am a sinful man. He saw himself, probably had heard the message of Jesus and just, who am I? Why have you been so gracious to give us this catch of fish? I'm unworthy. Depart from me. He doesn't want to depart, actually. But he just has a recognition for a moment of Christ and his glory and his divinity and his suitability and his loveliness as the master, Lord. And he becomes his disciple. But now Jesus says to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And they obey. They're attentive to his word. 
Now, John, the apostle who's writing this particular account, is recalling this event uh, many years after it actually happened. And as you read this, you could just imagine John recounting with vividness what precisely was happening here. They had decided to go out that morning and to go fishing. Peter had said, let's go fishing. And the others agreed and they were fishing all night. They saw a man on the shore and they asked if they had any fish. And he said, cast your net on the other side. And they could not draw it in, as it were. It was so full of fish. The disciples were going to be taught by Jesus, though he was at a distance. He was there with them. Soon he was going to go away, he was going to ascend into heaven. But in this moment, John and we can reflect back on this event to know it's like Jesus is right there. And next Lord's Day, he's going to say, I am right here. You know, our confessions say when the minister breaks the bread and he pours out the wine and he gives, it's as if you're receiving from the very hand of Jesus. This is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. Jesus, as it were, is standing on the eternal shore of heaven, calling us individually and as the church, cast out your net. Gather in, harvest, as it were, not only his promises, his Gracious invitations, but harvest in souls. This is the work that he commissioned his disciples to do after this event. They were to be fishers of men. This is the calling of the whole church. Not just the apostles, not just your uh, pastor and elders, but all of us. Is there any area of your life in which the Lord, this same Christ, has been speaking to you, commanding you, do this. Do this. And you're hesitant. The disciples heard his command and obeyed. We need to listen to his word. We need to obey what he commands us to do. These disciples heard Jesus speak. They obeyed. And when they brought in this net of fish, it was full. And John even remembers how many there were. 153. And so, dear friends, I ask you this morning, have you ever been to the place where you have nothing to offer him? All you see is emptiness, 
shortcoming, sin. And he is saying to you, look to me. Take refuge in me. Cast, as it were, your net on the other side. Now, when they did that and they gathered in these 153 fish, John, who seems to be the more reflective and thinker of the disciples, is, this is Jesus. It it dawns on him in that moment as they're gathering in this, this great quantity of fish that they had not caught all night, and now it's full. This is Jesus. This is the Lord. It's evident to John a miracle had happened. First, that they didn't catch anything, and then that they caught everything. And so John, he, he, he shares this with the other disciples. He says to Peter, it's the Lord. Could you imagine what that word of John must have done in the hearts of the other disciples? You know, you read of those two travelers to Emmaus as there's after the, the resurrection of Jesus and they're hearing all these reports and then Jesus, unknown to them, comes walking alongside of them and, and, and unpacks the scripture, does a, a whole Old Testament study about who Jesus was and we read their hearts were burning within them. I can only imagine this ship this morning, this little boat this morning, as John says, it's the Lord. Oh, their hearts must have burned within them. I hope and pray that as you reflect on these truths and to this week and next week comes, that your hearts burn within you for him. It's the risen Lord. He speaks to us through his word, particularly at times through the sacrament. And maybe we can't explain it in words, but we know it. We, we can't mistake it. It's not a man who's simply standing on the shore. It's not a, just a pastor who's saying some words. But it's Jesus who speaks. And that was full. Just like in Luke 5. The net was full. And they brought it in. They were as instruments simply gathering in what Jesus directed to the net. And that's our task as the church. We are to be those not simply that gather and refine us and keep our four walls intact. But our calling is as the disciples, as Jesus will say to them, go into all the world, to all the nations... And gather in. Catch fish. He will bring them in. He will give us to catch them. But we are to be obedient to what he calls us to do. Jesus will provide. And we don't lean on our own strength and our own wisdom and all the things that we are trying to do, but we lean on him. And that's our last thought. The second thought this morning is that Jesus is the provision. We read as soon as they were come to land, not only uh, had Jesus done this miracle of uh, filling the net with fish, but we read there was coal of fire and fish and bread ready. Everything 
was prepared. And the interesting in the original, it's, it's one fish and it's singular and one loaf of bread. He will multiply it. They're sufficient for any who come. Empty of themselves, but supplied with Jesus' provision. And notice what he says to the disciples. Bring of the fish. Bring some of the fish, verse 10, that you have just caught. He, just like he did in his ministry when he, when he heals someone of uh, their issue of blood or, or one of their children at the point of sickness or death, he, he would marvel, great is your faith. And the reality was, he had been providing his spirit. He had been providing the conviction of Jesus alone could bring the healing and bring restoration and had brought them to Jesus to receive that. And, and, and they come believing Jesus and he says, and marvels, great is your faith. And it's the same here. Who brought those fish into that net? The same one who kept them out before. And yet he says, bring of the fish you have caught. And so he wants us to be about our master's business. He wants us to be about this week in, in sowing seed and, and drinking in the word and all of these things. But we're not to bring that to him as our service to him to provide for us. But he is telling us in the week to come in the Lord's Supper, I am sufficient. I have provided. Great is your faith. Eat of me, drink of me, and rest in me. Jesus didn't need these fish. He had already made provision, as it were, with the coals and, and the bread. The disciples had witnessed the miracle. And yet as they come to the shore and they haul in this catch of fish, they must have marveled in their heart at Jesus. And we read they didn't even dare ask him because they knew it was him. Jesus says to them, come, break your fast. That's really what breakfast is. Break your fast. You've had a hard season, maybe, friend. Maybe a difficult spiritual patch in your life. Till today. And Jesus is saying to you, break your fast come and dine come eat of my provision my body my bread everything will be ready and the lord's supper pictures that doesn't it you're given freely something you didn't buy something you don't earn it's his it's his he gives to sinners Freely. And what a comfort it is that Jesus is doing the same as he did with the disciples here as he stood on shore as the Lord and giver and provider, the greater Joseph who gave to his empty-handed disciples. And so take courage. Floundering person who may be struggling and maybe with questions, maybe with fears, 
that no one else knows. He wants you to come to him trusting, believing. He has everything you need. And he wants to provide for you. And just as certain as these disciples came to shore and found that Jesus had provided everything, they came as broken people. They recognized it's in him that our life is found. They recognized that Jesus from eternity had determined to give himself over unto death to redeem people who were not seeking after him, but saying again and again, I'm going fishing. And he comes and takes away our emptiness and provides himself. John recognized this was the Lord. And as you hear the word of God, as you see the sacrament unfold in the coming week, may your eye of faith behold him who stands on the shores of eternity and says, take, eat. This is my body. We won't see him with our natural eye, but with the eye of faith. May we, as the disciples did here at this shore, gathering around this coal of fire. What that must have been for Peter. Do you ever think about that? Where was the last time you read in John's gospel of a coal of fire? Hmm. Well, when he was warming himself in the hall of Caiaphas and saying, I don't know that guy with cursing. And now Peter, he can't wait. He can't wait to get to shore. He was naked in the boat because they were working so hard and he put on his fisherman's coat. He jumped in the water and he rushed. He swam to shore. He wanted to be with Jesus. Is your heart so longing as Peter's was in spite of what you may have denied, what you may have done, you may have still sinned, that in this coming week, you want to be here. You want to commemorate him and his provision. Well, may what Peter experienced here on this day as he came to shore, and then as you read later, you can read it yourselves this afternoon. Jesus will ask Peter the question, do you love me? Do you love me? Really? And finally, Peter had to say, you know everything, Lord. You know I love you. And so next week as you come, may this love that he has first given to you draw you to his provision. Jesus does for the disciples what they couldn't do. And what you can't do and I can't do, Jesus is saying in the gospel and in the Lord's Supper, it's done. It's finished. And I provide. 
for your every need. Walk now in obedience to me. May that be your heart, your experience in this coming week. We read in verse 12, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Amen. We'll turn now to the preparatory form first part in your bulletins beloved hear now the words of the apostle paul concerning the institution of the holy supper for i received from the lord which i also delivered to you that the lord jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. When our Lord said, Do this in remembrance of me, he ordained this holy supper as a constant memorial and visible proclamation of his death. The Apostle Paul also teaches us that as often as we eat this bread and drink the cup, we proclaim the Lord's death. As we partake, therefore, we bear witness that our Lord Jesus was sent by the Father into the world to take upon himself our flesh and blood and to bear the wrath of God on the cross for us. We confess that he came to earth to bring us to heaven, that he was condemned to die, that we might be pardoned, that he endured the suffering and death of the cross, that we might live through him, and that he was once forsaken by God, that we might forever be accepted by him. The sacrament thus confirms us in God's abiding love and covenant faithfulness, sealing to our hearts the promises of his gracious covenant and assuring us that we belong to his covenant family. Let us then be persuaded as we eat and drink that God will always love us and accept us as his children for the sake of his son. Our Lord also promises that as we eat this bread and drink the cup, we are fed with his crucified body and shed blood. To do this, He gives us life-giving, his life-giving spirit, through whom the body and blood of our Lord become the life-giving nourishment of our souls. Thus, he unites us with himself and so imparts the precious benefits of his sacrifice to all who partake in faith. As a means of grace, this meal also unites us with one another in the bond of peace, as the apostle says, We who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Thus, even as he unites us with himself, he strengthens the bond of communion between us, his children. Finally, the remembrance of our Lord's death revives in us the hope of his return. 
since he commanded us to do this until he comes, the Lord assures us that he will come again to take us to himself as we commune with him now under the veil of these earthly elements. We are assured that we shall behold him face to face and rejoice in the glory of his appearing. Our Lord will surely do what he has promised. Let us draw near to his table then, believing that he will strengthen us in faith, unite us in love, and establish us more firmly in the hope of his coming. To him who loves us, And has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests, to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Let's turn to him now in prayer. Almighty God, with one accord, we give you thanks for all the blessings of your grace. But most of all, we thank you for the unspeakable gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. We most humbly thank you that your Son came to us in human form, that he lived a perfect life on earth, that he died for us on the cross, and that he rose victoriously from the dead. We bless you for the gift of your Holy Spirit, for the gospel of reconciliation, for the church universal, for the ministry and the sacraments of the church and for the blessed hope of everlasting life. We pray, gracious Father, that you would grant us your Holy Spirit, that through this sacrament our souls may truly be fed with the crucified body and shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grant us the full assurance of your grace as we draw near to your holy table, filling our hearts with humble gratitude for your mercies. Unite us more fully with our blessed Lord, and so also with one another. Enable us in newness of life to pledge ourselves in service to Christ and all your children. And lift your hearts to him, that in all the troubles and sorrows of this life we may persevere in the living hope of the coming of our Lord and Savior in glory. Answer us. O Lord, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We also pray for the offerings that will be received. Bless them for the benefit of many in ministry of the church. And also praying for visitors and guests that as we hear your word and we in the coming week will witness the provision given to your church, we would be drawn to the Savior who has taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom the power, and the glory forever. Amen. The offering this morning, the Lord bless you and your gifts will be for the general fund.